Welcome back to Don't Call It a Book Club. My name is Luke. My name is Dan. We're taking the second step on our journey today. We are we are talking about Soulsmith today. The second book of the Cradle series. The whole book. First, as we as we mentioned last episode, we're going to talk about some things that uh, some listeners, uh, some comments that the listeners gave us. So I'm going to start off with a, a great comment from uh, username Arlena Magnus. And that's a, a slightly different theory on Elder Whisper and Sacred Valley than we had. So only slightly. No, it's, no, it's very different. Um, <laughs> this theory was very interesting that they were saying Sacred Valley is kind of like a prison. And Elder Whisper is one of the original inhabitants of this prison. And some of the some of the, that that would kind of explain a little bit, you know? Yeah, I I really like this theory because it explains why a everybody in Sacred Valley seems way underpowered compared to everybody in the outside world, and b why the Sacred Valley is surrounded by super violent terrible land a super violent terrible landscape that sounds awful uh for no apparent reason like it doesn't seem super clear why the sacred valley is special yet right and it also brings into play that that thing that i think surreal said that there are some powerful beings that are doing doing something to keep Sacred Valley the way that it is. Right. So interesting theory there. We'll we'll have to keep an eye on it. Definitely have to keep an eye on it. Um, the other thing we got a lot of comments uh, about the Pokemon theory. Uh, Arlena Arlena gave their take on the Pokemon theory. They mentioned that they they see it closer to like Dragon Ball Z or anime. The one that immediately comes to my mind is like Naruto. As basic as that is, please don't don't tweet me how basic that Nar- that anime reference is. Definitely influences there, right? You got a main character who's leveling up. Super cool. Not going to 100% back down from my Pokémon theory. I think there's still <laughs> staying, staying strong. Still elements of Pokémon in here, but for sure there's a lot of you know, weak main character works super hard and levels up to this incredible power level kind of atmosphere to it, which I love. It's a great story. And 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 the martial arts of of a lot of anime stories. Yeah, yeah. They're fighting to level up. They're not reading books or anything like that. Yeah. Okay. One one other comment that I want to bring up is from Torrid and EQ. And they were wanting us to talk a little bit about this scene that I actually really like that I, I I actually do wish we had talked about. The scene where at the end of Unsold, Elder Whitehall comes in and is talking to Lyndon and is starting to be a little wary of him. And it's like, I don't think you're an Unsold because Lyndon just did some super impressive stuff. That was a really good moment. And... And it does give us some 
some looks into how Lyndon, even though he has this gigantic flaw, Lyndon is actually like super impressive for his advancement level. Sure, his advancement level is atrocious, but kind of like Yaren, he's for his advancement level, kind of a genius, you know? Yeah, it's also incredible because it shows not only the like bigotry of the Sacred Valley Society where they assume that he can do nothing, that he is just garbage, not even worth their time at all. And it contrasts that with how impressive Lyndon is able to become, even given that atmosphere. Like Lyndon is able to be this like genius of hard work and cleverness even in this environment where everybody is telling him he's like worth nothing at all. Right. And we we see things kind of like this with Lyndon in in Unsold and in Soulsmith. So for example, let's let's quickly go through Lyndon's stats. Okay. Here. Yeah. Yeah. Lyndon's got a few kills. Yeah. One of them was as an iron he killed an iron while he was unsold. He also killed a jade while he was unsold. Sure, under kind of tricky circumstances, but it still counts. Honor by any means, Luke. <laughs> exactly. And he kills a high gold in Soulsmith. As an iron. As an iron. So in- Incredibly impressive, I'd say. Right, right. Well, he's... That's why when they... I think there's a scene where Fisher, Fisher Gesha is saying something like, I only take people about, like irons at a minimum or something like that yeah and maybe a genius copper are you a genius kind of kind of joking like he's obviously not obviously not but he kind of is (laughs) i think this is true i think he i think he kind of is a genius for his advancement level and he's getting no credit for it except this moment where whitehall's like wait a minute are you right and if i you know if i was conspiracy-minded man i i would say maybe he's not that low advancement (laughs) But this is not a this is not a conspiracy podcast, Luke. It's just not that kind of show. No, not 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 yet. So we also got a few comments that bring up evidence that comes into play later on in the series. We're trying to keep these episodes spoiler free. Uh, so if if you're listening to episode two, we're not going to be talking about anything that's in the preceding books because we want this to be accessible for anybody you know just starting this series so that doesn't mean that we're not going to address your comments we have them saved and when we get to the books where your evidence becomes relevant we're for sure bringing them up and we're gonna address those comments but for now theories like for sure send us theories with stuff that's that's of the later books but we're only going to address it once we've reached that level once we've reached that level of advancement you could say oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. Thanks again. Thanks again for those comments. We'll we'll be doing the same thing again. Uh, if you if you have things that that you want us to discuss that we did not discuss, we're gonna we're gonna have an opening for you to suggest things like like we did for this pe- previous episode. So again, tweet at us, email us. Uh, I'm gonna be posting on, or one of us is gonna be posting on the subreddit the day that this episode is released so check that out and give us give us comments on what you wished we had talked about what you hope we'll talk about for the next book and we'll we'll address them
Absolutely. Okay, let's get into let's get into Soulsmith. Yeah. The, Luke, this is going to be something incredibly minor. We've heard about Sword Aura in this universe. What what makes a sword special that it gets its own aura? What do you what do you mean? So what I mean is Yaren does all this stuff using sword aura. She she cycles sword aura, she uses it for her ruler technique. One of the sand vipers that attacks her and Linden has a club. Is there club aura out there? Where like pitbulls hanging out and you know what I mean? Like, is there some kind of club aura in the so, universe? So you're saying the fact that there's or is sword aura, that's specific enough that there should be aura for other objects as well. Right. And like, did somebody make the first sword and then suddenly there was sword aura in the world? And if so, like, did they try making a bunch of other shit? Like, all right, what if I make a round thing with like a bowl that has a handle on it? And they're like, ooh, no spoon aura coming out of this one. Hmm. <laughs> because until there was a sword, there couldn't have been sword aura in the world. Right, right. Okay, okay, okay. So here's 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 another thing. We uh, Dan and I are not experts on this series. Some of you may be. Give us give us uh give us your answer for this. Here's my take on this. Yeah. I think that sword aura might be a a name given to something that is that is specific in name but it's not actually specific in practice so when we see yaren do her uh, uh i think it's the endless sword technique where it basically any quote-unquote sword aura turns into like knives or like cuts whatever's around it yeah but that works for anything that's sharp it seems like right so like Lyndon almost gets destroyed by the spear. And so I would say, I would guess that sword aura is just what they call like aura that collects around things that are sharp. Right. But then my previous question, is there club aura? Is there aura that collects around anything that's not sharp? That's like around. Like blunt object like aura. Blunt object aura. Yeah. Maybe. Hmm. Could be. I think I think this is a good point. They're probably calling it sword aura when it feels to me much more like sharp aura. Right. Maybe but. there's like Warhammer aura out there somewhere. It's just a bunch of guys painting minis and they have like a vapor cloud coming off of them. Yeah, probably. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I have. So when we get to I don't, I don't have anything for before we get to the transcendent ruins. There's some interesting stuff that happens there. But when we first get to the Transcendent Ruins, Linden and Yaren, and Linden for the first time is seeing high-level sacred artists. And the first thing, or essentially the first thing he sees them doing, is playing hacky sack with a live wolf. That's, that's, a, in, that's a kind of intimidating intro for him. I'm out, right? dude. I'm out. That's the first thing I see. That's terrifying. Right. So so I think Linden, Linden's perspective, he's like, oh, dope. I'm going to be able to do that soon. My perspective is like, well, I'm going to go live as a hermit. 
and never interact with these people again because they're going to play hacky sack with my corpse. That's terrifying. It also kind of shows how much, like, these people are all psychopaths, right? Because they're playing hacky sack with a live animal that's just bouncing around. Like, you know they just finished playing badminton with one of those, like, sand viper remnants. Right. And they were like, we need a new game. And they just invented hack like wolf hacky sack. It's it's also a good a good introduction for us to this world. Where because now we're like, okay, just crazy shit happens and they can do nonsense. You know? Right, right. We're we're in we're entering the world in which just like the physical capabilities of everyone are insane. And that's exciting. I'm going to say that's exciting. It's exciting. It's also interesting to see how they choose to entertain themselves. Right. Like how they choose to spend their time. It's very interesting. We're learning a lot about the priorities of powerful sacred artists. And okay, the the other thing that we see that's cool that we've kind of ranted about in previous books that are not Cradle is people with magic or like amazing amazing abilities it's almost always put towards combat and this we we see a lot of that in this book but we also see just like things that people in this world are capable of that are not related to fighting so like they put up this giant city i mean, i guess it's not a giant city this this I don't know, like a outpost camp. in like a few days. Mm-hmm. We see a like nine-year-old girl carrying boulders and like chopping them up to the right size for, I don't really remember what she was making, but it's it's cool to see, to see people using the sacred arts for, I don't know, just everyday stuff. I'm sure there are, there are tons of, of things in bigger cities that just makes like, farming so much better uh restaurants got to be fantastic um i'm assuming ethan ethan is a from a line of janitors excited to see how their powers are just like so good for janitorial things everyone is really i guess i guess this comes down to everyone is really specialized and i'm assuming we'll see that when we're in a bigger city Mm mm-hmm mm-hmm yeah, right now it, it just seems like an outpost. Everybody's trying to do a smash and grab at this. Right, we're in a bit. we're in the wilderness where that kind of doesn't apply, where you have to do a bit of a bit of everything, I guess. Mm-hmm. Which is which is maybe why it's kind of a it's kind of a dump. Yeah. Yeah. And I think the priorities aren't really making something that looks nice, you know. Right. Right. Okay, now that we're we're we talked about Ethan, I wanna I wanna talk about him a little bit more. Yeah. Ethan and and we have read this book before, but this is I Ethan is such a good character. Yes, Ethan's incredible. Ethan Ethan comes in and just he always makes a scene better because he's so entertaining. And the introduction we get to Ethan is just fantastic, right? I I've been trying to decide like where to place ethan if i met him on the street like what kind of a thing he would be doing and and what i keep coming back to is he seems like a frat star who's leading a mardi gras parade 
And the reason, okay. Okay. The reason I say that, very ostentatious. He wants like a, at one point he considers like sneaking in to do something, but he's like, I'd much rather come in with trumpets. And I was like, okay, mm-hmm. all right. So at the head of a parade, uh, he's drinking a lot. Pretty much both times we see him, he's found something that he can drink. Uh, the first time it's wine. The second time he's pretty sure it's poison. But I mean, I'm pretty sure that's just what Natty Light is. <laughs> and then his clothing. So his clothing is insane. Uh, the like style makes me think he's at some kind of weird festival. Except for two things. Number one, he loves pastels. Oh, yeah. And who else loves pastels if not frat boys? And the second, they describe a little bit more specifically. Will describes a little bit more specifically how his outfit looks. So I'm going to read you a quote from the book about what Ethan's clothing looks like. Okay. The cape on his shoulders was raised and separated to resemble wings. Is that a pop collar? Oh, it's definitely, it's definitely Cradle's version of a popped collar. Yeah. So that's where I'm getting the frat, the frat star energy from is the popped okay. collar, the pastels. He's drinking a lot, but then he's also just like kind of fun and cool. And so he's like kind of leading a Mardi Gras parade uh-huh. anywhere okay. he goes. Okay. I'm, I'm kind of there with you. I don't know if I have an, ex- uh, an example of a, of a real life, what I would think Ethan would be. Yeah. I'm trying to decide if I if I met Ethan on the side of the street mm-hmm. or not on the side of the street. If I met Ethan in some context, if I would really like him or if he would be really annoying. And I'm not sure. I'd like to think that I would really like him because I really like him in the book. Right. right. But I don't know if, if you're actually in the situation whether Ethan would be likable because I could also see him being very annoying. I think I think it very much depends on his opinion of you. Like if he doesn't like me, he's gonna make me look like a fool, and I'm gonna hate him. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. If he does like me, we're, I'm gonna love him. I think. I think that's where I'm coming down. Have you ever seen Goodwill Hunting? Mm-hmm. Okay, so Ethan, what you're describing, Ethan reminds me of the main character in that, and the interaction he has in the bar with those people from what is it, Harvard or wherever he's going to school. Uh, mm-hmm. where they try and act all cool and he just completely destroys what they're trying to say and pones them and all his friends are like, yeah, crushed it. Like, that's who I imagine Ethan as. Ethan is the guy, is the genius guy who either you hate mm-hmm. him because he's constantly like showing everybody how much of an idiot you are or you love him because he's like building you up all the time and he's got your back. Yeah, yeah. I think if you're Ethan's friend, Ethan would be the best friend that you mm-hmm. could have. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no question. That's that's where I'm coming down. Um, and and with with Ethan, he has a, he has a couple scenes interacting with Jay Long, and in the 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 first one, he kind of well, he definitely makes a fool of him, right? He kind of does this thing where he bothers him and then like jukes him around a bunch. And then it's like, this is boring and I'm going to leave. And, and then I, I love how he insults everybody in order to get them to fight. He's like, all right, uh, fine. The Jai clan are a bunch of dogs. You guys suck ass. Fight me, I guess. Because it's like, you know, he kind of has to do it to get them to fight. 
but it's like so uncaring. He's so apathetic mm-hmm. about it. It's just a beautiful scene. Right. And then and then later on he he is getting Jay Long to put a collar on him so that he can go in with Lyndon and Yaren into the mines. And Jay Long is obviously confused but just does it. I I think if you're Jay Long, you you should have gotten suspicious a long time ago. Like, okay, Jay Long is a very impressive high gold, mm-hmm. right? And Ethan just makes a fool of him and a bunch of, I guess, probably low gold sand vipers. Yeah. And crawl. And right. Yeah. Another high gold who's very impressive. I it, 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 at that point you're like, okay, you're not. You're probably better than me. Probably at least a true gold. Mm-hmm. And then later on when he tries to get him to put this collar on him, I'm going to get suspicious. I'm not just going to be like, here's the collar, go on in there and do whatever you want, because it's not going to be in my interest. Yes, but then consider this. You're pretty sure Ethan is way higher advancement-wise than you. We're saying Jai Long? I'm going Jay Long, but I don't know. Jay sounds fine. Jay Long knows this like the first time he meets Ethan. Are you going to tell him no? Ooh. I don't think you're going to say, no, I'm not going to put this collar on you, and I'm going to try and stop you from going in that pyramid. There's no way you're saying that to Ethan, who you have no idea how powerful he is. Okay. Okay, fair enough. Yeah. But while we're talking about Ethan and Jay, Jay Long... They have something in common that I think is extremely underutilized in this world, and that's scripted clothing. Mm-hmm. So we learn that Jay Long has script all over his mask, and when we're introduced to Ethan, he has script in the like lining of his clothing. Sounds like it could be extremely useful in this world to have a, a script to, uh, I don't know, maybe you don't have your flashlight card with you, but... Your clothing has a little a little flashlight script in it. Just light right. up light up your uh, sleeve or something like that. I feel like it's underutilized. And maybe I'm I would agree something. with you now. I so I I guess so we don't quite know a ton of how scripting works. Right. We should preface it. But that I way. mean this suggests that you can do it on clothes. And I don't think we know what the scripts on J Long or J Long's face. Ethan's clothing does and that's what that's what I'm kind of wondering what are these scripts doing and I think that this this should be right up Lyndon's alley right this would be perfect for Lyndon because it would like super augment his abilities and you only have to put a little bit of Madra into it and you can use pure Madra it's perfect for Lyndon perfect for Lyndon okay we'll have to this 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 is definitely something to keep an eye on right right if we if we figure out how this works why 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 people don't do it why not everyone does it i feel like we'll see you could get some sweet like neon underglow going on or you know just like the the style uh the style benefits are tremendous they're tremendous tremendous yeah and like oh man we learned that you can have a little wire that's got a script on it that'll just heat up the wire you could for sure have a little a little electric blanket action Right. Ooh, yeah. A little Madra heated blanket action. That would be so nice. Um, or like you know the opposite, venting, super hot out, venting a little bit. 
uh, there's no need for tailors anymore because your script makes it fit you perfectly as soon as you put it on. That's great. It's fantastic. All these, all these options. And hopefully we see some of them. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. At the very least, we've got to find out what that script on, on Jay Long's mask is doing. Yeah, because I don't know yet. No. It's, uh, it's a we'll little s- mysterious. We'll see. We'll see. Um, okay, let's... On to, on to Lyndon for a second. Okay. I'm, I'm kind of on Yaren's side on getting a little bit frustrated with Lyndon because he continues to try to join a, f- a faction without knowing anything about them, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and it was smart to join Ethan. That was, I have no qualms with that. But he keeps like going in and he sees the fishers and he's like, I should join them and they should teach me a path because that would be cool. It's like, give it some time because you might not like that. Like, okay, here's my example. If I'm playing a video game Mm -hmm. and I get like an upgrade point. Yeah. And there's all these things that I can choose from to upgrade. How long is it taking you to choose? Because for me personally, it takes me like at least until I get halfway into the game before I'm using those upgrade points because I don't know what to use them on yet. This is, I feel like, this is what I would be with, like if I was Linden. I would not be picking a path until I was like high gold because I was like, I would be second guessing so often. So you're expressing... We're, we're going to go off on a little bit of a tangent here, but you're expressing the feeling that I get reading this book, which is it makes me really inspired to practice something like guitar or drawing or painting. And so I'm like really inspired to try and do this thing that requires like practice and talent and stuff like that. And then I immediately get terrified. I'm going to ruin my foundation doing it. So I spend way too long practicing like the fundamentals and the basics and I never move on past that because because of this book and how it's like, oh, you're going to ruin your foundation if you do it wrong. And so this is a feeling that I very much relate to, not in the sense of video games, but just in the sense of like doing a thing, like getting good at a thing and being worried I'm going to do it wrong in the very basic stages and like completely ruin my abilities later. And then that preventing me from even ever like doing it later but i will say related coming back to linden wanting to join a school super quick it's kind of worked out for him so far because yaren and linden look at it very differently yaren sees joining the sage as like that was her deal and she stuck with that she was going to stick with that presumably forever linden joined the heaven's glory school and was like yeah i don't give a fuck about this school I'm going to suck them dry. I'm going to take as much as I can from them and bounce out. I'm going to find another place that I can power up. And so I think Lyndon just sees them as like opportunities to advance and then peace out and move on. Okay. Yes, I would agree with that. Lyndon very much is just is does a bunch of things with the pure idea of he's going to do whatever, whatever is best for him to get better but he does he like asks the fishers to give him a path yes which i'm assuming means he would he would be using fisher madra in one of his cores Mm -hmm. which is like a big decision 
And you don't know very much about them. You're for sure right. It's a huge decision, but I don't think Lyndon really gets how big of a decision that it is. Yes, that's probably and I, I true. I think this is where Yaren's frustration comes comes into play. Because Lyndon's like, I could get a, an infinite path. I could get paths for everything, and I'll just keep splitting my core and keep getting new paths. It'll be so great. And Yaren's like, you can't. Stop. Stop. Pump the brakes, please. You can't do any of that. This is insane. Right. That's Yeah, that's why I think I'm I'm a little bit with Yaren, where it's like, Lyndon, just, just chill out for a minute. Bef- and... Like, learn some... Okay, okay, okay. The thing is, Lyndon is kind of in a weird spot because he doesn't he doesn't know that Ethan's about to come in and save him. Right. And be this, like, amazing teacher. So, I I get where he's coming from. I guess I'm just... I'm just... I'm just there with Yaren getting kind of frustrated with him. That's... I, that's it. That's it, really. I think that's fair. I think that's fair. I think both of their, like, perspectives are valid given their experience. But coming from Yaren's experience, Lyndon is incredibly frustrating. But then coming from Lyndon's experience, Yaren's got to be incredibly frustrating because his whole life people have been saying like, no, you can't do that, dude. That, no, don't do that. That's a bad idea. Just stay in your place. Spend a year. Becoming Iron. Okay, granted, nobody told him he could become an Iron. But, you know, everybody in his whole, his whole life has been saying you can't do that. And he has been succeeding because he's found a way to do it even though they said he can't. So, right. Makes sense, Lyndon. But uh Makes sense. Yeah. But definitely frustrating. Definitely frustrating. Definitely frustrated. And and since we're since we're on Yaren, mm-hmm. It's very uh how do I want to say this? There's a lot of the story has not necessarily been personality focused on Lyndon and Yaren. I mean, I, I don't know. You can disagree with me on that, but there, at least it's it's subtle, I guess. Yeah. With yeah. with Ethan, it's not subtle, but uh, with like Yaren, for example, it's subtle. So it's it's very interesting to me when we keep seeing these little these little like one sentence hints about how terrified of being alone Yaren is. Uh huh. And I don't know. I guess it. It's 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 building her character a little bit a little bit slowly, but the good thing about it is that Lyndon and me, when I at least when I first read this book, was very worried that they would end up getting separated. Like Lyndon would want to stay here and do whatever, and Yaren would be like, "Okay, peace out. I'm going to do my own thing because that's what I do." But this is kind of a little a little hint that. Yaren does not want to leave Lyndon, even though, like, I don't know if she even likes Lyndon. You know what I mean? I don't know if she actually likes him or not. <laughs> okay, I think I think that's uh, going a little far because I think Yaren likes Lyndon. Like, I feel like she trusts Lyndon, you know, and she she appreciates the hustle because mm-hmm. Lyndon's hustling every day, and so. Yeah, I think Garen appreciates that and how he like helped her take down Heaven's Glory, right? Right. Uh, okay, I guess that's that's definitely true. We do get that scene where she talks about how she's going to go back and like decimate them. And Lyndon is just like, uh, I'll be there too. And he says that 
she looks at him with like the deepest gratitude or something like that. So yes, I, th- I think you're right. She very much appreciates Lyndon. Um, I guess I don't know. I don't know quite where I'm going with this. Just that, I don't know. It's kind of an interesting little, little character thing for Yaren. Yeah. That we'll, that we'll see how it affects the rest of the story. Definitely. The dynamic between Yaren and Lyndon is very interesting. Another dynamic that I found very interesting was between Jay Long and Crawl of the Sand Vipers. Did you also really like love the bromance that they had going on? Yeah, I couldn't quite figure it out. So it felt to me like they were just very good buddies. And I also really liked it because they played a lot like they played on each other very well. Like when Jay Long was confronting the Sand Viper outside of the bathhouse. And he's telling the Sand Viper to like chill. And the Sand Viper kind of backtalks him. And he's like, oh, I'm not gonna, I'm, I only listen to the, the crawl, the young chieftain. I don't listen to you. And Jay Long is like, okay, well, let's ask him. And the guy jumps down from a tree overhead. And they, they like also are kind of cool with this guy who just disrespected Jay Long. And so I kind of like that, that they've played on each other. But it, not in like a mean way. Like they weren't picking on anybody, but they were just kind of poking fun at everybody. I was loving that that little bromance that we had going on. Yeah. Okay. You're definitely. They do play on each other very well. I think there's another scene. I'm trying to remember what exactly it is. Maybe when, um, when the the Fisher, the leader of the Fishers, challenges Jay Long. And it ends up Crawl comes in and this that whole scene thing. I think I remember them playing on each other very well. And there being some really, really good, really good trash talk that they do well. Yeah. So yes, they're you're right, they are very good buddies. They're very it seems like they've been around long enough with each other and spent enough time that they know what each other is thinking. Yeah. Yeah. And that kind of a bond is just incredible. And I really wanted to root for that bond. Up until we found out about the the whole mining situation. Up until that point, I was like, this team needs to stick around for sure. They're going to do incredible things. We're loving it. And then we hear about what's going on with the miners. And I did. Very dark. I had a little second, a little second guess about how, how I wanted that duo to end up. Right. The, the mining thing is. I feel like a lot darker when you, the more you think about it, the darker it is. Yeah. Uh, although, Luke, maybe it's not so dark after all. Okay. Luke, let's talk about the miners for a second. The miners are strapped with these collars that restrict their madra and they're sent into the middle of the pyramid with these barrels to synthesize, uh, what are they called? Scales. To synthesize scales for the Sand Viper clan. The problem is, in the middle of the pyramid, there's just tons of dread beasts and remnants that are constantly trying to eat them. And so they have to send guards in to keep track of the miners. At the very beginning of this book, we see Lyndon and Yaren in a bit of a pickle. 
that has to do with remnants and dread beasts and how do they get out of it so okay okay so they they get out of it by there just being the transcendent ruins taking all the aura and the dread beasts following them is that what you mean but before that what happens okay linden linden's little script circle protects them linden makes a script circle in the dirt to keep remnants and sacred or yeah remnants and dread beasts from getting in and attacking him and yaren so why is the Sand Viper cult not just creating a script circle in this place to keep the remnants and the dread beasts out, Luke? There's a lot of there's a lot of fighting that happens in this very concentrated region. There's a lot of intense fighting that happens. Hmm. What happens to Linden and Yaren? as soon as Ethan gets him into the pyramid. So Ethan finds him in the middle of this bloodbath and kind of right. kind of ferrets them away in this hole and then immediately does what to both of them? He starts fighting them. He, he puts Linden in this box overhead and says, deal with this. We're going to keep oh, okay, you up okay. there for two weeks. This will help your advancement. And then he says to Yaren, hey, you're a gold. The best way to level up is intense, hardcore fighting. So we're going to go at it for the next two weeks, you and me, right here. So there's a an element of training, fighting in intense, bloody, terrible conflict. Hmm. Okay, maybe the Sand Vipers have created, intentionally created, this conflict in the middle of the pyramid, not necessarily to get to get scales. Maybe it's training. The sand vipers are kind of they're they're allies, but they're not at the same power level as what other clan? They're allies with the J clan, I guess. Yeah. They're... The the kind of like not the main J clan, but the little the little offshoot. Yeah, they're allies with the J clan. The J clan has a problem. What's the J-Clan's problem that we learn about in this book, Luke? Do, uh, do you mean the, the like, their leader, Underlord, is has, his days are numbered, basically? Exactly. The J-Clan's Underlord is dying, and they need to replace him. Okay, so are you, are you trying to say that this whole thing, the, the mining component, at least, is actually trying to train the people that are guarding the miners it could also be attempting to train the miners themselves luke now <laughs> now listen there's two problems with this there's three problems with this actually first problem is uh i don't love this if i'm a miner probably but if i level up through this process i might appreciate it there's a chance i'll say oh you were doing this to help my advancement in the same way you appreciate a teacher in the same way Lyndon appreciates Ethan for putting him through hell when he really wanted to get out of it to level up. These miners might realize, oh, they put me through this so I'd level up and then out of respect become allies. Okay. I'm going to say that is the response to the first problem. Second problem. Why do they put those collars on them? That doesn't seem right. But Luke, maybe these aren't collars to completely just restrict Madraflow, Madraflow. Linden has a parasite ring that means Ooh. that his Madraflow 
is restricted. He describes it as like filtering his madra and making it more difficult to cycle, but it's more beneficial. Maybe these collars are just souped up parasite rings. They're like the next level of a parasite ring because they're trying to churn out an underlord quick. They're trying to jump on it. Okay, okay. I I hate this. Let me say that. Sure. The the thing about this script is a good point. I'll I'll say this about it. I don't know how the script exactly will work because keep in mind that the miners the miners need to draw an aura. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if if you do the script, you're like you're preventing that from happening in a way, like you're preventing some of that aura from coming in. I don't know, but it it, it let's it, let's let's say that we don't know quite how scripting works. I, I will say I will say the script at the beginning that Lyndon puts down it dissipates Madra, but it doesn't say anything about aura. Okay, so I'm gonna I'm gonna it might it might have a problem with aura, but there's no evidence that there would be a problem with aura coming in to the script. Okay. Okay, and that, I think that's all they need to to use the the mining equipment. That's right. Um, okay. I the the other thing I have with this is Jay Long is does like hates the Jay Clan. I I will say the this this situation is fairly similar to Linden's. Absolutely. Like what Ethan does to Linden, where basically you're putting someone who's super helpless in a very dangerous position. And like, if he dies, whatever, he's not going to be in an underlord. If he doesn't die, oh boy, here we go. Right. So, okay. So on, on that, I agree with you. I don't, I think that if there was someone that, some minor that did something super impressive, they're for sure going to be like, oh, let's take you out. Start, start training you a little bit. I'm not I'm not necessarily there with you that that's their original intention yet. Okay. Okay. But uh But Luke, I'll just say this. If their original intention was to get as many scales as possible, put a script around them. Okay? Put a script around <laughs> that's, them. That's that's fair. And you and do more guards. You do more guards. Yeah, the guards out front are destroying miles and miles worth of dread beasts. And you put five guards surrounding your most valuable mining operation? Come on. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay, valid point. Another thing that I'll say about this mining operation that is a separate note that I had. Yeah. Jay Long's been spending this whole time drawing up this map, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And like at the end of it, the Fisher leader comes in and is like, I'll buy the map because you can't do anything with it. Like how how hard is it to make a map? Well, you have to get inside. I think this is the the problem. Okay, but but they do this like this whole I guess expedition at the end. Yes. Where they get like everyone and go in. Right. And they have out you know, out front they have guarding people guarding and there's they're just like decimating these dread beasts. Mm-hmm. I'll grant you that inside the pyramid is much more dangerous because you're in closed quarters and there's holes in the wall that people can or dreadbees can come in and out, out of, come in and out of. So it's it's da- it's more dangerous, sure. But the Fisher leader guy, 
is a true gold. Jaylong is a high gold, and a very good high gold at that. And they they presumably have a bunch of low golds that are you know decent at fighting, maybe a couple high golds here and there, I don't know. But just do a little expedition that you generate a map from. Like, why are you... Why are you slowly putting together a map if if your if your number one goal is this spear and the best way to get it is to get this map like do a scouting mission Luke I I think the problem is the entire problem with this like five faction alliance is that they don't really want to help each other out like they're all competing because they're worried whoever gets there first will just take it. And especially they're not going to work with the Fisher clan because they have a true gold and nobody else it seems like has a true gold hanging out. Maybe okay. the J clan does, but if whoever is at the highest level of, of advancement is just going to take the best stuff and peace out when they get there. Right. So I think that's part of the reason why they don't work together initially they're kind of forced to at the end when they run out of time but we also see this is a great point luke that if they just worked together they would have solved this in like a day and they could have all gone home but at the very beginning when we're introduced to crawl and jay long crawl spills a bunch of water in a bath i'm assuming in his tent and he sends jay long to get more water for him and jay long mentions like man, if only there was a way to just produce water out of Madra, that would be so cool. But I don't think anybody has one of those, not even the Fisher, not even the Fisher group. And, and even if they did, I'm not, I'm not going to ask them for it. And then the very first thing that Lyndon finds from a remnant that the Fisher shows him, one of these, uh, oh, what are they called? Binding. Yeah, one of these bindings produces just endless water out of Madra. It's like... Come on, guys. If you'd all just like work together, none of these problems would be happening. Okay, very yeah, very valid point. Okay, really really quickly, when we're when we're introduced to the the head fisher, we get a little we get kind of a good description of what he looks like. Yeah. And we've 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 gotten descriptions of the fishers in general. Mm-hmm. I'm kind of into the fisher look. Is that weird? No, it like looks terrible, but I think his name is Ragan. Mm-hmm. He's he's the most powerful person out there, right? Because he's a true gold, but he he looks like an absolute beggar. He looks like garbage. I'm kind of into it. Yeah, we, is that weird? We very much love it. Um, it's it's the same reason why we love Yoda, right? So Yoda just looks terrible when we get introduced to Yoda in Episode Four. And then you find out that he's like the most powerful Jedi of all time. You're like, oh, this guy's actually kind of dope. And I actually, I have written down that Fisher Geisha. Are we going Geisha or Geisha? I was going Geisha. Okay. Fisher Geisha is like a sassy Yoda. She's very small. Mm. She's very powerful. She can kind of move stuff with her mind a little bit. She's very old. And, And Yoda is a little sassy. But Gesha is like so sassy and I love it. And so there's a very like Yoda vibe to the Fisher sect, which we love. We love okay, somebody sure, sure. not being super flamboyant. Ostentatious. They're ostentatious. Yeah. We love them. Very understated, powerful, 
sacred artist is very cool. Granted, we also love Ethan, which is like the opposite of that. Right. There's no middle ground with sacred artists. No, you can't. If you're in the middle, you're lame. Um, let's, let's talk briefly about Lyndon's iron body. Okay. Before the, the, we get there, before we get there. Okay. Couple of things. So last episode, we talked about this technique manual Lyndon finds called the like path of twin star. He calls it the path of twin stars now. And in that manual, there is mention that the opponent uses an empty, what he calls an empty palm. And the guy's not sure how he's able to get pure Madra to do this. Just a little, little hint here. These barrels are able to take vital aura from the world and turn it into pure Madra. They're able to mix together a big pot of all different kinds of aura and turn it into a pure Madra scale. Oh, sounds like we've got a little hint for what, what's going on with this guy. Uh-huh. Maybe there's, maybe he's, or she, maybe this person is able to pull together all of the aura. And when you mix it all together, becomes pure again. It's like, it's like making, uh, making white as a color. You know, you got to put all the lights together and then you get white. Okay. Okay. So there's just a little hint there. These barrels kind of do that. These barrels take aura of all different kinds and make it pure which like we were trying to figure out how we get an empty palm from somebody who's already on a path. Right, 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 right. So you you don't necessarily, assuming you have some mechanism that's similar to these barrels, you have some mechanism to make pure madra. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. So you don't necessarily have to be following or have to be following some path that uses pure madra to do the empty palm. Exactly. Theoretically. Theoretically, I think you could create pure madra. Okay. Okay, that's an, yeah, that's good. Let's let's keep an eye on so that. So we're gonna keep an eye on that. Keep an eye because I am very we're we're very curious about who the empty original empty palmer was. Yeah, we're gonna be coming back to these two people from this technique manual. I think a lot because they're very fascinating. <laughs> the other thing, Luke, have you seen the the like Pepe Silvia meme about it's always sunny in Philadelphia? I don't. I don't think so. Oh, man. Okay, then this is going to be for the listeners, Luke. You're going to play along. The So there's a scene in It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia where this character is trying to explain this conspiracy to another character, and it's, like, iconic. Uh, oh, oh, the, the yarn one? The yarn one, yeah. Okay. That yeah. scene. I was getting very Pepe Silvia uh, feelings when Lyndon is explaining to Yaren his plan to get the scales how he comes in and he just looks like so terrible and he's like no 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 listen i got this plan i got this plan hang on hang on sit down all right so what we're gonna do is i've been following these people around for weeks okay i know their schedule i know when they drink i know when they eat i know when they shit here's how we're gonna get all these scales and he's like got all these contingency plans ready he just he's very i'm getting very pepe sylvia vibes from this scene okay Okay, yes, I definitely see that. Because it's also clear that once we once we get into the actual implementation of this plan, it's garbage. Right, Lyndon gets spotted immediately. Yeah. Ooh, okay. 
Yeah, that's definitely that's definitely a good analogy. <laughs> okay, let's let's talk about the iron body. Okay. Let me first say it sounded compared to Yaren's, it sounded kind of lame at first. Right? Because Yaren's is like this overwhelming, overwhelmingly offensive iron body. And Linden's is like, you don't get hurt by poisons. I mean, we learn, you know, he he. We learn that he heals himself more. But so, but originally, I was like, ah, uh, sounds kind of lame. But then at the end, when he heals from everything within like a couple hours, it's very cool. It's very cool. So I'm rescinding that. The other thing I want to say is we love the power move of putting of putting the little the little shitty van or sand viper ceremony next. It was incredible. It was incredible. The contrast between Lyndon dying because he took so much venom and then the little pinprick on this kid of one drop of venom was perfect. It was so good. And how Crawl's like, are you sure? That's kind of a lot of venom you're giving him. Jai Long's like, no, 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 this is this is the way to go. It's yeah, it's very, it's very exciting now, you know? It builds some excitement in me for Lyndon's future. Right. Because it's like, okay, yeah. As Ethan mentioned, the one thing you need is drive, right? This clearly shows that Lyndon, Lyndon's got it. Because he takes like, what does he take? Like five sand vipers to the Five and then dies. (laughs) Five and then literally dies. And Ethan's like, yeah, this guy's perfect. (laughs) I also, this is just a small thing. I love the quote from Ethan where he dies and he's like, oh, that was too much. Yeah, Ethan good... Ethan is a great character. We love Ethan. Uh oh man. Yeah, the contrast with the kid was perfect. This this part where Ethan puts Lyndon into this little cave by himself the first time. And Lyndon kills the sand vipers and is like rips for the remnant, like rips one stinger off of its body and kills the other one. Very cool. I'll say, I'll say, I'll say that that last move. Very cool. But, and you might, this might be a hot take, and you might, and might the listeners might hate me for this. I don't think I feel like killing the sand viper originally was not that impressive. Ooh. And that might come down to me not visualizing sand vipers like I should. Yeah. But Lyndon says he smashes them with a rock Mm -hmm. and we also get the scene later when ethan is holding the sand vipers Mm -hmm. which suggests to me that you can they're small enough to hold with like one hand i think they're described as being the size of his arm they're the size of linden's arm one of these sand vipers okay that's i i'm not saying that i want to fight one i have no interest I'm, if I see one of those things on the sidewalk when I'm walking down the street, I'm running away. But yeah, that's why you're never going to advance, Luke. I'm never going to advance. I'm, st- I'm I'm currently unsold. I'm staying there. But I don't know. I don't think smashing it with the rock was that cool. That's that's all I was going to say. Honestly, I think that's why Ethan. I think that's what Ethan would say too. And that's why he was like, "Okay, bye. Two weeks. Have fun." <laughs> And I'll bet Yaren was a little bit like, yeah, whatever. Like, Lyndon comes out and he's like, I smashed you with a rock. Oh, my God. It was the hardest thing ever. 
And I imagine, like, sure, Yaren's going to be very supportive of him verbally. But I imagine in her head, she's like, yeah, they were like bugs, dude. <laughs> okay, and let me, again, the, the next move was very cool. Yes. The next move of ripping one tail off of the remnant and killing the other one with it, very cool move. Let's, okay, let's let's move on. But the initial the initial bug squishing, not not nearly as cool. So, the the artifact that everybody's trying to get out of this pyramid is a spear, which allows you to absorb the remnants of of things. It allows you to absorb remnants, and the people in the J clan, we find out everybody wants this because they think it'll make them more powerful, but. Jay Long reveals it's really not that powerful because you have to absorb the remnant of somebody that's like on your path already because your Madra has to be compatible. We're going to come back to that Madra being compatible thing in in just a minute because I've got another theory to end us out. But for this spear to be most effective, you have to use it on people who are like you in your path. And Jay, Jay, we're going to Jay Long, whatever. Jay Long sees this as perfect for him because he wants to murder everyone in the J-Clan. I just want you to imagine the scene where this person, this woman is creating the spear and people around her are like, hey, what you, what you cooking up over there? I see you're working on something on your workbench. What's that? She's like, oh, nothing. You know, just a, just a spear. It's nothing nothing cool. And then they, they kind of go back to the water cooler later and they're like, hey, has Sharon been acting like kind of weird recently? Yeah, dude. She's acting like kind of a kind of a bee. Like, do you think she's still pissed about about the office party last week? Hmm. I don't know. I don't know about that. She she seems like kind of shy. I don't think she'll I don't think she'll do anything about it. I think she'll she'll get over it. And then two weeks later, she shows up with this spear and is like, I'm about to destroy you all. Either that is a very good point. Because there's no way everybody's cool with her making a spear that will absorb all their souls. There's no way. How do you there's no way you spin that to be like, oh no, it's don't worry. It's just for uh for fun. It's just a hobby. <laughs> a side project. I'm just gonna look at it. I'm gonna put it on my wall. Yeah. Cause anyone anyone that's like working on this project. Yeah. Is knowledgeable enough to see this this flaw that Jay Long sees. Right. So they they have to see this coming a mile away. They know exactly what this spear is for. So either it's just one person who's like kind of hiding it from everybody else, or it's a group of people who all think that they'll be the one to get it. Yeah, that's a little that's an interesting little dynamic. Yeah, it had to make for a pretty hostile work environment i think i yeah i would say so but i want to come back to the spear itself and the idea i want to come back to the idea of what the spear does jay long mentions earlier that if you mix types of madra that are not compatible you get you don't even know what'll happen like it it reacts in really volatile ways making weird stuff happen and for a while, I was wondering where all these dread beasts are coming from. Like these dread beasts are 
seem to be isolated into the desolate wilds and they're like abominations they're like terribly corrupted things that are like this mix Lyndon looks at them through his copper sight and sees them as this mix of different auras and madras that doesn't really fit together and after we hear about what the spear does I started getting a sense that maybe they're somehow related to each other and then when we actually get into when we actually get into the transcendent ruins there is a like a log that Lyndon reads a section of and in this log we learn that they are on I think they described it as like generation 14 and Lyndon finds these bindings in a box that he's looking for and he thinks that these bindings are what make the spear work. And we learn that a binding from, we learn what a binding is from Fisher Geisha. And a binding is like this essential part of somebody's soul that is like, uh, kind of like a script that comes into being from what a person or what a thing does in its life like the course of what they do in their life and the aura that they absorb forms into this binding in the middle of their remnant and normally how you get bindings is you go out into the wilderness to find them and you you find a remnant out in the wilderness and you hope it has a binding you want but based on the journal log that we read in this ruin i'm fairly certain the soul smiths were trying to breed a binding. The soul smiths there were taking sacred beasts and trying to like breed them into different generations to get the binding that they want. Oh. And we also get a little scribbled note at the very end that says something about how it's unstable and how that might be the key, how this un instability in the binding might be the key. And so what I think has happened. I don't think the Dread Beasts existed until they tried to breed in this binding. I think the process of breeding in this binding that sucks in all different kinds of Madra and Aura, I think that created the Dread Beasts because they're this combination of weird Auras and Madras that don't really make sense. And I think that process of trying to create that binding created the Dread Beasts. Ooh, okay. This one actually feels kind of good, right? This, I think, I'm, I'm like pretty in on this one. Right. So there's, yeah, it feels good. Now, what I will say is I don't think, I think the spear existed before the, um, I think the spear existed before they tried to recreate the spear's binding because there was there was like stories that they tried they were trying to recreate the spear and I think this process of trying to recreate the spear is what caused them to try and breed a binding essentially and cause these like terrible abominations to be formed that they've just let run amok and now have like kind of ruined the wilds. Okay. Okay. Yes. I think I think that that's a good theory. We'll have to see if the 
the dread beasts are like unique to this area or not, or if we get more information on what else creates them. But we'll this is a, a it's a good little thought. So stick it stick it in our back pocket. We'll hang on to that. I it's we we need to follow up on these dread beasts a little bit though. Those are I think these are key. Let's that's that's kind of the end of our of our notes, I guess. Um again, send us a message if you want, if if there's a topic that you wished we had talked about, and we'll cover it in the next episode. But now we're gonna start we're gonna start a new little segment that is is kind of just a fun little dumb discussion debate let's say that dan and i are gonna have and we're gonna we have our own question our own topic for this one we're hoping to get good suggestions for future ones because we're hoping to do one of these at the end of each episode where we're basically going to come up with some absurd question that is like who would beat who in a fight but there's some twist and then Dan and I are going to debate. I, I think just so, hit him with it. It'll be obvious. It'll be obvious what it okay. is. Yeah. Okay. So this first one we're going to talk about. We're we're in a little a little gladiator arena. On one side is a sand viper warrior, the average sand viper warrior. On the other side is a bunch of horse-sized ducks, and the question is, how many horse-sized ducks? Is this sand viper warrior taking out? Is it? It so it's to the death. It's to the death. Yes. Okay. Uh, are they attacking one at a time or all at once? So they're all in the arena at once. Mm-hmm. It depends. This. I mean, it's. I don't. Okay. I don't know if it's they're however attacking the ducks would because strategize. I'm not in the mind of a duck. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's however the ducks would strategize. Okay. Okay. And the ducks know it's to the death, right? I just want to make sure it's ethical. Yes. Okay. Okay. Ooh. Let's okay. Let's think about factors here. So okay, horse-sized ducks. Actually, no, 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 not duck. Goose. Okay, yeah. Th- this cause, changes cause everything. Geese, actually, geese are a little more aggressive. Okay, geese. I'm I'm thinking that the geese are gonna be are gonna be coming all at once. Is my thought. They're definitely coming all at once unless they get too distracted by fighting each other on the way. Right. Because right. geese will just like. Oh, no, fuck it. Forget that. Geese fly as a herd or whatever, a group of geese, a gaggle, whatever it's called. Geese are ride or die bros. Geese. Right, they're on a team. They're on a team. And a goose, does the goose have any powers or is it just a normal goose? No, no normal, normal goose. goose. I mean, okay, horse-sized goose. Okay, but it's big goose. Other, other than that. I'm going to say... Then, okay, so... 20? Okay. I think I think we're limited... We're limited to how much Madra the Sand Viper Warrior has. Mm-hmm. I think that's I think that's the main the main thing, and we're saying average. Yeah, Sand Viper Warrior. Yeah, because because the geese don't have much of a defense, and the Sand Viper guy has or or the Sand Viper Warrior has like techniques that use venom. So right, I would say as soon as one of these geese is getting hit by me. It's, it's out, right? Probably, yeah. Yeah. But here's the thing. If I'm a sand viper, I've trained my entire life to fight sacred artists. So I know how to fight other sacred artists incredibly well. Sure, 
I also know how to fight like dread beasts and sacred beasts, maybe. But my main opponent is our other sacred artists. So my techniques are optimized for that. I haven't really trained up my abilities for fighting a bunch of geese all at once. Right. So I'm going to say a slight disadvantage. Okay. There. You know, it's not like you're fighting another gold. This is a completely different. Well, it's literally a different animal. Right. So I'm thinking 20 is it. Okay, you're going you're going 20. The other thing with this is that the sand vipers attacks, like I said, rely on venom. Mm -hmm. And we said a horse sized duck. Yes. Right. That you're going to need a lot of venom to take that guy down. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So you're going to run out faster. Also, you got to get in a blood vessel to get venom going on. Mm -hmm. Geese have Mm -hmm. giant wings with nothing in them but feathers. Right. Plus, ooh. Plus, it takes a little while for that to take effect. You know what I mean? Well, with Yaren, it, it, took, it went into effect pretty quickly. I'll say that. Yeah, but she didn't. It's not like she dropped dead, right? Okay, fair like, enough. if you've got, let's say, 10 horse sized geese sprinting at you <laughs> and you do one of their little, their little like multi pronged attacks. Yeah. And it stabs all of the geese, let's say. Uh huh. You're getting some venom in there, but you're not necessarily stopping their momentum. That's for sure. Yeah. So you're saying you're just going to get hit like a bowling pin by a bunch of geese that are thundering at you? I think so. That would probably hurt. They do have iron bodies, right? So they can take a bit of a hit. Yeah. I I think I'm up. I think my I think 20 was embarrassingly low. I think 20 was a terrible start. I'm going to I'm going to up it to 100 now. And here's why I'm upping it to 100. The sand vipers can make green clouds of Madra. Mm. They're, well, I guess it's Aura. They can use the poison Aura in the world to kill a like big group of them at once. Right, this is their ruler their technique. Their ruler technique. And I feel like they could kill 20 of them at once with just one of these ruler techniques. Just make a pretty yeah. big cloud. That The thing that comes into play there is the location of the fight, though. Mm. right because if there's not a lot of the right kind of aura it's not going to work very well yeah that's a great point actually let's say it's just like oh yeah the fact that they're in the desolate wilds really helps them out doesn't it yeah yeah they're in the desolate wilds the other thing with this is i think it's actually it becomes easier for them to kill more geese as they have already killed more geese if that makes sense because I think that the geese, the geese have a benefit. An open field benefits the geese, right? Yeah, because they can like fly and hit you from the top, and oh yeah. So if you if you've already taken down like twenty geese, you've got some barriers. You can do what Linden the, did. That are stopping the other mo- the other geese's momentum. Right, a little bit. Right, you can do what Linden did to survive for two weeks. You can make a little fortification out of dead geese bodies, and then they've got to come yeah, to you. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, this is also implying, though, that the sacred artist is going to be on the defense, is going to be able to be on the defense and not on the offense, right? It's implying that the geese are the aggressors and not the sacred artist. Right. But Which I I think is fair. I think it is also fair, because any time I've ever encountered a goose, I've never been on the offensive with the goose. It has always been on the offensive. So I think that's perfectly valid. 
I think 100 actually might be a little high. Because how many times do you think we, they could do that cloud? What we're forgetting about is that the geese can fly. Yes, but I don't know how much that helps them. I mean, I think, it, I think it's a big help. Because now we've got more angles that they're coming at you from. Mm, I hadn't thought about that. Yeah, so maybe only plus, like... Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Plus, I, I would... There's, let's, there's a... You know, there's a bunch of geese running at you at ground level. There's a few geese coming at you flying. If you take the flying ones out, I mean, their their speed is just going to accelerate and they're hitting you full force. They're like little geese bombs, giant geese bombs. Giant actually. geese bombs. Yeah, this is this is actually true. We had also never. OK, now this this might get a little crude. But a goose poop is pretty big, right? Just a normal goose Ooh. poop. A horse okay, size goose poop. Details. That's fucking massive. That is massive. And that's kind of, that's like a, you know, when they're striker technique. Okay. <laughs> okay. So I think, I think it was above 20. I think it is above 20. For sure. I think it's below a hundred. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'd agree on that, but it's going to be up there. It's going to be a lot. I'm going to say between 80 and a hundred. Oh, that's high. That's because, high. I'm going lower than that. Because I'm I, going like 60. Okay. Yeah, I feel like it's just, I feel like the iron body gives him a pretty significant advantage. Like, if I had just an iron body and was going against a bunch of horse-sized geese, I think I could take on three or four Mm -hmm. just with iron body alone. And so add on top of that super magic powers. Yeah. Okay, so I think think we're coming down to the... Kind of what I said at the beginning, mm-hmm. where your your actual techniques that you're using your modra for are the the big advantage that you have over the geese. Like obviously the iron body is helping a lot, but you're 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 pretty limited by how many you're gonna take out without. Here's another thing. Mm-hmm. You're gonna take some wounds from the geese, right? Whether it's just them crashing into you, you're gonna get like a broken rib here and there. Their iron bodies, if we extrapolate based on Linden's iron body, have to take take a ton of their Madra to heal that. So they're running out of Madra even faster. Ooh, this is a good point. But I don't know how I don't know how much, right? Linden Linden snorted five of those sand vipers. And so he's got a super blood forged body. But, right. but they're only doing a drop of the hard stuff so i don't know how how much that plays a factor you know what i mean okay right i i'm i'm sticking i'm sticking at 60 i'm going 60 okay i'm i think i'm sticking i'm gonna i'm gonna say 80 i'm gonna say okay uh, i'm gonna say 80 because i think i think 20 more you could hit him with a cloud or something i think you do it in all the simulations i think the mean number is 80 (laughs) okay we're settling on 60 and 80. Uh, if if y'all want to get in on this, tweet at us, send us an email. How many do you think they could take and why? How many do you think they could take? Yeah. Are we, are we, are we in the ballpark? What do you think? And if you have another ridiculous hypothetical, we're going to be, we're going to be hopefully taking another one for the end of the next episode. Give us your suggestions for for our topic. If you don't send us any, don't worry. 
Luke or I'll come up with something absurd. So we'd love to hear from you guys, but uh, but but count on next episode having a, a ridiculous matchup. Uh, but Luke, until that time, we're gonna be like the transcendent ruins, gathering all of the hot takes from around the world and focusing them here in this podcast. We've got to have some dumb nerds to mine those hot takes. And that's what me and Dan are here for.